Today we celebrate the solemnity of St. Mary of the Cross, MacKillop. After Our Lady Help of Christians, she is the secondary patron of our country, Australia. And of course, as you know, she is the first and so far the only Australian who has been officially canonised by the Church. Mary Helen MacKillop was born on the 15th of January, 1842, in a very modest house at the southern end of Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, in Melbourne. She was the eldest of eight children, born to Scottish immigrants Alexander and Flora MacKillop. The house she lived in, and was born in, in Fitzroy has gone. It's been replaced by a very stylish mansion that for a time was the official residence of the Lord Mayor of Melbourne. That building is now owned by St Vincent's Hospital, which surrounds it, and across the road is the campus of Australian Catholic University. So where St Mary was born is very much a Catholic precinct today. While the house is gone, there is a plaque on the footpath marking the place where Australia's first canonised saint was born. Although she was born only 100 metres or so from St Patrick's Cathedral, she was baptised in St Francis's Church in Lonsdale Street. Conditions in life in mid-19th century Australia were quite primitive compared to our 21st century Australia. Poverty was rife, especially in the country areas. Religious discrimination, particularly against Catholics, was widespread. The plight of the Aboriginal people was deplorable. Unemployment was commonplace. And communication was difficult, perhaps even in the extreme, in certain country areas of the country. And travel over any distance was for the fearless and the tough. As we know, many of the first settlers in Australia were of convict origin with little education, and many were descendants of Irish Catholics. The church had few priests to serve its people who were scattered around rural areas and as a rule experienced poverty. Alexander and Flora imbued their children with a great love for their Catholic faith. The MacKillop family was poor, and Alexander was often without work. He didn't always make good business decisions, and we're told also that he dabbled in politics. So getting a job may have been difficult on many fronts for him. And Mary being the eldest, in her teens she was called upon to assist the family finances by finding employment. At a young age, Mary had increasingly felt the call to live as a consecrated religious sister, but still she had the obligation to care for her family. One of the jobs that she had to help her family was as a governess, and while she was working as a governess in Panola in South Australia, she met Father Julian Tennyson Woods, 
who was parish priest of a large part of southeast South Australia. At that period of Australian history, schools, medical care and any form of social services were lacking, especially for the poor and especially in country areas. The Catholic rural poor were especially disadvantaged. St Mary's dream was of a free education for such children and that dream was also shared by Father Woods. He became her mentor and her spiritual director and he encouraged her vocation. Together they developed a plan for a congregation of sisters who would work wherever there was a need but especially in rural areas. They would live in small convents or whatever style of dwelling that the local people had. It was a courageous plan. In January 1866, the plan was put into action. Mary and her two sisters began teaching in Panola, South Australia, in a stable refurbished by her brother. With the encouragement and mentoring of Father Woods, the congregation of the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart was born. On the advice of Father Woods, Mary moved to Adelaide. And on August 15, 1867, Mary and her companions professed the three vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. Mary took the name Sister Mary of the Cross. She was joined by other young women who responded to needs in rural areas where they provided, without payment, elementary teaching in religion and secular subjects to poor children who otherwise had no hope of education. Soon afterwards, Mary's charitable heart opened to the destitute and the elderly who were friendless and abandoned in a harsh society without any social welfare. By 1869, there were 60 sisters working in schools, orphanages and refuges for women. Father Woods and St Mary envisaged that the sisters of St Joseph would be governed centrally by one superior and so be free to go wherever there was a need anywhere in the colonies. A complex set of circumstances led the Bishop of Adelaide, who was once her friend and benefactor, excommunicating Mary in 1871 for supposed disobedience. Mary accepted the excommunication and the dismissal of many her sisters with serenity and peace. The Bishop revoked the sentence before his death less than six months later. And so Mary returned to her work and the majority of the sisters who had been sent away returned to the Institute. They were dark days in the life of St Mary. She was advised to go to Rome to seek the help of Blessed Pope Pius IX, because crucial for the Institute to survive was the concept of central government, which would enable her to send the sisters anywhere there was a need, rather than being confined to a particular diocese. While in Rome, Mary did not receive final approval for the Institute, This came in 1888, but she did receive encouragement from many 
and especially from her three meetings with His Holiness Blessed Pius IX. She returned to Australia with support for central government. Back in Australia, further problems arose and Mary was ordered to leave Adelaide for Sydney, where in 1885 she was deposed as Mother General. It was not until 1899 that the sisters were free to elect her again as their Mother General, an office she held until her death. She accepted these harsh changes and still retained respect for the bishops and priesthood and encouraged her sisters to do the same. Mary was untiring in her zeal for the poor. One of her favourite sayings was, Never see a need without doing something about it. Her devotion to the Sacred Heart, the Blessed Sacrament and St. Joseph and the Divine Will of God impelled her to love God and his people. Her attention to the will of God enabled her to accept the joys as well as the difficulties that beset her so frequently. She wrote, The will of God is to me a very dear book, and I never tire of reading it. Throughout her life Mary suffered from ill health and was often confined to bed with severe and debilitating headaches but she used her illness to come closer to God. While visiting New Zealand, where the sisters had also opened foundations and schools, when she was 60 years old, she suffered a stroke. Her right side was impaired, but she learned to write with her left hand and continued in the office of Superior General and even made several visitations to faraway convents. By 1905, deterioration was becoming evident, and for the next year she suffered heroically and kept a cheerful, pleasant outlook on life, always speaking of God's holy will. In 1909, her condition worsened, and she died peacefully on this day, the 8th of August, 1909. Her last days were ones of sadness for those who were gathered around her. Cardinal Moran went to visit her. When he left, he said, I have this day attended the deathbed of a saint. Her death will bring many blessings. One thousand sisters who were then in the institute mourned her death. Mary's remains were removed later on to the Memorial Chapel at the Mother House in North Sydney, New South Wales. Three popes have prayed at her tomb. St Paul VI, St John Paul II and Benedict XVI. And if you haven't visited Mary's tomb in North Sydney, I encourage you to do it. It is a very powerful and moving experience to be in the presence of the remains of one who was born in this country and who achieved the holiness that could make her declared a saint of the church. The lasting memory that many sisters had of Mary, and many people too, was her kindness. It was not just the kindness reflected in all the works for which she had been responsible, nor was it the kindness of an isolated, aloof person, but it really was the kindness that St. Paul describes in his first letter to the Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. 
It is never jealous. Love is never boastful or conceited. It is never rude or selfish. It does not take offence and is not resentful. Love delights in the truth. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, to hope and to endure whatever comes. During his visit to Sydney for World Youth Day in July 2008, Pope Benedict XVI, in speaking of St Mary of the Cross, MacKillop, said, I know that her perseverance in the face of adversity, her plea for justice on behalf of those unfairly treated, and her practical example of holiness have become a source of inspiration for all Australians. The Holy Father again spoke, quoting Mary MacKillop, and I leave you with Mary's words. Believe in the whisperings of God to your heart. Believe in him. Believe in the power of the Holy Spirit of love. May St. Mary of the Cross MacKillop pray for us, for our families, for our communities, and for our nation.